Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Barangaroo Studios, the AusBiz COV is the key stuff you need to know about the day in business and finance. Well, hello, hello. This is a COB podcast from AusBiz on this November the 17th. I'm your host, David Scott, joined today by Kyle Rodder in the Sydney studios. Kyle, if you went back to the start of the week and then no, no, look where we were sitting at, and then compared to relative today, at the index level at least, not a whole lot is going on at the moment. No, I should have taken leave, I reckon. Nothing's happening. Uh, it's, uh, well, a few things in the States and, and in the region, actually. Uh, Asian stocks are, are puking um, again some concerns around Chinese tech and, and financial markets. But here, it's like we're uh, trading um, really solely off our own volition and it's, and it's not really going anywhere. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. So looking at the, uh, the broader S&P ASX 200 today, up about two-tenths of a percent, 7135.7. That's less than 20 points below where it uh, ended last week. Of course, that was that pop when we hit five-month highs. And after reaching that level, uh, we've just sat there and not really gone on with it. And you mentioned there's been lots of volatility across uh, other indices in the region. Uh, certainly, Aussie dollar's been volatile, plenty of movement in commodity prices and rates. But the old uh, ASX 200 just uh, taking everything at stride. Maybe it's because of the start of the cricket season and uh, people are starting to go and switch off and put onto the cricket. I don't know, but uh, whatever's going on, uh, not a lot of interest at this point in time. But that's only at the index level, of course. Uh, underneath the, uh, the hood, there's a lot going on. And uh, one thing that's really noticeable as well, from my perspective, is there's so much churn at this point. Uh, you know, yesterday we had uh, materials and energy up and about and don't know, beating the chest. Today they're whimpering in the corner, down more than 1% and 2% respectively, and everything else is up. And it's just like a completely opposite day to what we saw yesterday. Yeah, it is. Um, miners' energy basically um, driving things at the margins. Um, everything else kind of just moves in the opposite direction. Um, yeah, what can you say? Maybe some of the corporate news. Yeah, well, let's get to that. The chess replacement. Remember the blockchain and all the excitement about the ASX, about how it's going to revolutionize uh, no, stock trading for my bosses around the world? Great way to pump your multiple is uh, mention blockchain. Yeah, six, six years uh, in the making, uh, they decided to go and scrap it today, the ASX board, at the, uh, the miserly cost of a, a write-down of about $250 million for, for the practice as well. Uh, it's an ongoing saga. It's been delayed, you know, drawn out, so many question marks. And uh, look, the technology is out there, but there's the implementation. Uh, just they have not been able to go and get it right. And uh, I've got to say, it's pretty embarrassing on the behalf of the ASX and more broadly Australia because uh, no, we were supposed to be the, the forefront of this technology when it came to the stock trading. And uh, yeah, none the wiser, six years on. No, not at all. Sunk cost. I had some good conversations about that too, um, actually. One just from um, uh, the Stock Brokers Association um, came on and had a bit of a discussion about what it meant for them and the huge outlays um, that uh, Judith Fox uh, was was who came on. Um, the major outlays brokers have uh, sort of, I guess, experienced 
in trying to prepare themselves for this transition, which has all gone to nothing. And then also uh, Megan Motto from the Governance Institute of Australia just talking about how there's this just big gap between boards and or often this big gap between boards and the very complex engineering and technological uh, projects that the businesses that they oversee embark on. And, uh, well, the big, I suppose, uh, again, knowledge gap there and how that needs to be bridged in the future. Mm. This is an example of that. So, um, yeah, it, it maybe one that we'll start reading in a, you know, case studies in, uh, in management, uh, management courses in the future. I think you alluded to the uh, the uh, thing right off the top of the other uh, conversation about uh, you know what was the uh, in vogue back then when it comes to uh, trying to go in and promote uh, your share price and everything else, <laughs> blockchain and uh, everything else. And uh, yeah, you're probably right. The uh, the level of uh, knowledge of what can be achieved at the uh, the board level compared to what can actually be done in practicality by the technical staff uh, often doesn't marry up. And that's not just the case of the ASX, but uh, ask any technology company around the world that's uh, trying to go and revolutionize into uh, new technologies. Uh, it's a common occurrence. Uh, speaking to a lot of my mates who work in the industry yeah. on the ASX, uh, given this setback and a costly setback of that, we thought, well, we'll go make it the stock of the day. So Koshi sat down today with Mark Garner from Macro and Philip Pepe from Shore and Partners to go get the take, whether it was worthwhile taking a punt on the old ASX. Take a listen. I'd, I'd be a seller, basically. I don't think it yields enough. Um, it traditionally has a premium on the stock uh, because it's a monopoly, and, and I just think you know, there's enough money there. It's a matter of time. If they keep easing the, uh, easing the barrier of entry to other exchanges uh, in a digital world, I think that um, I think you're going to see someone just come in and just have, make, make the ASX or Australian share market a bolt-on. I think it's a buy. Um, it was disappointing to hear today's news, but as Mark said, this has been largely flagged. It's been taking so long. And to put it into context, they're suggesting a write-off of 250 mil, 1.8% of its market cap, 2% of its market cap, hence the share price move. So mm. sounds a lot, but it's, it's actually not that much. There we have it. A split decision, but a split decision does not go and mean we go and consider it for the uh, investment portfolio. So the concentrated... Investment portfolio is known the wiser when it comes to the ASX. We'll leave that for another day. Philip likes it. Mark, not so much. Uh, look, outside of that, uh, the other probably big news story today was Perpetual's potential takeover of Pendle. And if it doesn't go ahead with that because it wants to go and be acquired by that consortium, including Regal, it may have to go and cough up a sizable sum. Now, the, the whole workout of that ended up in the market was Perpetual was absolutely belted and Pendle soared on the back of it. So one way or another, uh, people can see that there's going to be some sort of cash flow coming one way or another, either an acquisition or a hefty payout. So what do you make about that? There's all the, the stuff about trying to go and see consolidation in that wealth management industry. Maybe uh, today's ruling uh, <laughs> might go and have a few people, you know, chewing their... Uh, Chewing their words and maybe thinking about is it the best thing to be doing at this point in time? Yeah, well, it's I guess that classic trade-off, right? And this is this is the problem that's created when you um, change the regulatory environment, which is you encourage consolidation, um, but that can also come with it less competition and, and bad consumer outcomes as well. So it's a fine balance. I'm not across the details of, of the situation. To, to be perfectly frank, it probably go a lot of it would go over my head, but um, yeah, I mean, I think. We've already seen the Labor government stepping back. You know, it's, this is a little bit of a tangent, but uh, the Labor government sort of promising to, to wind back some of the uh, uh, 
uh, very strict restrictions that were imposed or proposed after the, the Royal Commission just on the basis that there, there might be some unintended consequences. Perhaps this is uh, an example of one of those unintended consequences. Yes, indeed. Uh, look, I had, as always, plenty of good chats in the conversation today on the program. I had a chat with Todd Warren from Tribeca Investment Partners. He came up with a buy, hold and sell in the commodity space. And uh, interestingly, one of the names that he came up for the sell is an area that uh, the market was incredibly excited about for a variety of different factors, including geopolitical tensions not too long ago. But uh, yeah, time to go and take profit in one name in particular and also gives us a hold in the uh, uranium space. It might be somewhere nearby where I'm located here in Adelaide. That's not. That's all I'm going to go say on that one. Uh, plenty of other stuff there. Zach Rias from Banyan Tree was also on the program talking about the golden oldies. Uh, I know the gold plays out there suddenly back in vogue and fashion uh, with bullion prices starting to go perk up a little at this point in time. He thinks it's still like a decent play as a hedge against inflation. I think uh, gold has proven itself to be more of a hedge against the potential for uh, return to very easy monetary conditions and the like, which of course can go and foster inflation, but certainly uh, looking back over the past decade or so, it seems to have really benefited in those times when monetary conditions have been incredibly loose. So we'll see what happens there, but Zach likes to look at gold at this point in time. And he sat down and had a chat with uh, Gary Glover from Novus Capital on the trade. Six stocks, mate. Uh, make what that us? make that seven seventh heaven it was uh, today. So we we were just talking about the markets. He, it, Gary for a while has actually been fairly confident that we would you know be closer to the bottom of the cycle. And this is going back probably six or seven weeks ago. So you know he starts off with a chart on the Dow and you know speaks perhaps to some level of vindication there. At least so far so good on that uh, particular call. But uh, really he he digs into just um, seven names that he thinks that that they're looking good as far as setting up on the charts right now. Gary Gary focuses on the on the technicals and. Maybe some more trades there, shorter-term time horizons, but certainly one that, um, you know, for folks that have a slightly higher risk appetite or slightly shorter investment time horizon, might um, might pique your interest. There we go. We have cater for everyone here at Osbys, including oh, yeah. the macro aficionados. And uh, on that today, of course, on the back of that, you know, pretty decent uh, uplifting wages growth that we saw in the third quarter in Australia. Today, we've got the Labor Force Survey. And once again, surprising to, uh, to the top side when it comes to the, uh, the outcome. So unemployment down to a multi-generational low of 3.4%. Big increase in full-time workers, about 32,000-odd employment increase. Uh, no hours up uh, as well, so no less of it, people getting sick, which is fantastic news out there at the moment. That's what we're only hearing when we're uh, no, being able to go and circulate and, uh, and be in society together once more. Then probably offline the ointment was uh, a small uh, downshift in the participation rate, but uh, all things being equal, it's a pretty punchy outcome. Certainly no signs yet of uh, any deterioration in the labour market. And when you're going to apply that across to when it comes to spending and everything else, despite high inflation and what we're seeing when it comes to disposable income levels, all points to pretty much resilience uh, heading towards Christmas, you'd imagine. Yeah, it looks like it. I think the only thing that people pointed to as being a sign that maybe... Um Rates, uh, rate hikes are, are starting to filter through, or at least the economy is slowing down. It's just the rate of jobs growth is 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 slowing, but still very very strong, um, three point four percent. What what have we gotten to as a low in this cycle? Was June was three point four as well, wasn't it? Maybe did it get to three point three? I'm not, I can't remember. Yeah, I think with I think with rounding, if you want to go and get to that technical wonkish level, which I, on this occasion I didn't go and bother to go and uh, narrow it down to three decimal places, I think it was the uh, the lowest level it's been in the cycle so far yeah. by a smidgen of a rounding error. 
Uh, yeah, but look, it's 48 year lows. That's uh, that's a decent outcome. We've got to celebrate yeah. that fact. And also now we're starting to go and see that uplift in wages. Hopefully that can go and be sustained to some degree, even when inflation hopefully comes down and gets some real wage growth coming through. It has been a while between drinks since we've seen that. So it's been over a decade indeed since we've had an outcome like that. So hopefully we can go and do that with a bit of productivity and we'll be uh, sailing sweet into 2023. But uh, putting into practice uh, rather than theory could be a little bit more difficult. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it really does um, put the RBA in the box seat for another 25 and, you know, maybe they'll pause after that. But, um, yeah, there's no signs really in the data yet that there's any any strong justification that um, economic activity is slowing down other than the fact that people feel kind of crap but um, hasn't seemed to be affecting their spending patterns just yet. Yeah, and as we saw in the States last night with that retail sales report, uh, you can go and have even far hotter inflationary pressures coming through and a far more aggressive central bank and it uh, doesn't guarantee that you're going to get outcomes that will lead to no. reduced spending. Even when you go and consider that inflationary pressures are still evident there in the US economy, clearly, uh, yeah, real spending going up when it comes to retail goods and services. Uh, and it, it begs the question, uh, a lot of people are saying, including myself, that we thought we're getting towards the end of this RBA rate tightening cycle. If, uh, if what's going on in the States is anything to go by, well, who knows? Uh, certainly they've been uh, doubling down when it comes to revolving credits, uh, credit cards and the like, to go and help fuel this spending habit. But a lot of that reflects that there's also strong labor market additions, and that's exactly what we're seeing here. So maybe we're getting a bit of a cider as to that resilience may continue well into next year here locally. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, tonight as well, could be fairly interesting. A bit of um, news out of the UK that uh, might be worth following, especially after what happened six or seven weeks ago in their financial markets, getting a little bit of a budget update, especially after last night's US API data. Uh, Philly Fed Manufacturing Index out as well. And Bullard, Jim, the Hawk Bullard, is uh, out to, to have mm-hmm. a little bit of a chat as well. So plenty to, to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, John Williams from the New York Fed, uh, his comments last night, not a lot was discussed on the other uh, program today. I had a bit of a chat uh, with uh, with uh, Deutsche Bank's chief economist, uh, Philo, no, Don- Philo Donahue. Donahue. Yeah, there eventually. yeah, it's all right. Yeah, Philo Donahue uh, about uh, that. But, uh, yeah, John Williams talking about uh, the potential that uh, you know, we shouldn't go and consider financial stability risks when yeah. policy setting. So it doesn't, doesn't matter if uh, markets are crashing, if they're uh, not going to impact the, uh, the inflation outlook, uh, we're not going to care about it. That's a huge assumption based on what we've seen uh, since the GSC. Yeah, but from the New York Fed president, no less. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly right. So yeah, the dislocated bond markets, don't worry about it. Just uh, you know, we'll keep tightening. But uh, like we'll see the right if that hopefully there. doesn't... Yeah, exactly. Well, no, um, I dare say that if we do get a, a significant dislocation in uh, financial markets, the Fed might go yeah. and have to go and step They'll in, uh, even if it has been. Yeah, they would, wouldn't they? We know they would, <laughs> even though they're talking tough at the moment. But it's still you know, trying to go and give that uh, hawkish veneer out there at the moment and make people believe that they'll continue doing whatever it takes to get inflation lower. That's to a certain point they will, but we know if uh, things get really gnarly, they'll go and pull back. It's, uh, it's almost a dead Sunday. Anyway, we'll go leave it there, mate. So what do you reckon? That's, uh, we'll go and enjoy our Friday when it comes up. And then tomorrow afternoon, last call. Uh, a few people probably looking forward to going and having a drink and a powwow about the week that was. Can't wait, mate. We'll talk to you then.